Hi, I'm Daniel Budai, and this is the Ecom Show, a podcast where you can learn more about the world of high-performing e-commerce players and marketers. The show is brought to you by the team of Budai Media. Let's grow your e-commerce business together. Hey everyone, I'm Daniel here with Rube, and this is the second episode of the Ecom Show. And uh, let me tell you more about our guest today. He's from the UK, and uh, he has a corporate background. He was a uh, creative uh, director at uh, big agencies like Publicis, Havas, and uh, and other uh, huge agencies. He worked with companies such as Rolex, National Geographic, Jaguar, Samsung, um, and even more. I think he will tell you more about uh, these projects. And after managing these accounts and creating videos and creatives for uh, these huge companies, he decided to dive into the SMB world. And now he works with um, e-commerce companies, but not exclusively with e-commerce companies um, who are in the seven and eight figure range. So that was a big shift. And uh, this is why I wanted to invite him to this uh, episode, because I think this uh, this shift, this big change is, is very fascinating and many small and medium e-commerce business owners can learn a lot from his experience. So welcome, Rube. I'm, re- I'm really happy that you are here today. And probably my first question would be, how, how is life during coronavirus there? Uh, where are you now? I know you travel a lot. And uh, are you in the UK or the US? I don't even know, to be honest. Sure. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me, Daniel. I'm uh, glad to be here. So, yeah, I mean, I well, in answer to your question where I am during uh, coronavirus, I have been a bit of a digital nomad for the last few years. Um, currently, I'm in the UK. I'm I'm from the UK originally, but I have um, my business is basically UK and US based. We have an office in Miami Beach as well. And um, we do, like I would say, 80% of our work with US. So um, even though I'm in the UK, I still kind of end up working US time zones. So yeah, that's, that's currently what's happening during COVID-19 for me. Okay, okay. So maybe let's continue with how we get connected or got connected. I think we met in the group of Jason Swank, which is a great group for, uh, for a digital marketing agency owners. And then we had a call. And for me, it was very interesting, your, your past. So you work with these big companies, big agencies. And please tell us more about that. What was the best part of it? And what was you know, those parts, what you didn't like as, as much in this environment? Sure. Um, I mean, the best part of it is that, you know, you have unlimited budgets to a certain extent <laughs> to, to, to go and, you know, with your creatives. And, um, yeah. um, but, you know, for me, it was like, it, it was an experience that I, I learned a lot, right? So, like, I've been doing this since um, around about 2003, 2004, um, and, you know, I started working with the agencies from that um, time onwards. And in those times, you know, we didn't have uh, access to the level of data that we have today. Not in the same way. It wasn't as immediate because the truth of the matter is the data was always there. It just just wasn't as immediate. The data used to come in the form of like consumer reports or it would come in terms of market research surveys or, you know, like uh 
yeah, surveys basically after purchase, before purchase, right. during the purchase process, and then also like you know consumer reports um, um, that were available back then. So we would have like folders and folders worth of information that we would look at, and then we would basically uh, use to uh, come up with customer avatars. You know, understand pain points. Uh, understand, um, you know, what the desires might be in the marketplace. And then our creative is essentially um, uh, derived from that. That was the that was basically the beginning part and the end part of, you know, the means and the end to the creative. And so today, um, you know, the, the reason, you know, the reason, one of the reasons why I made the jump into this, you know, running my own agency and then dealing with people who kind of like, you know, in the smaller range rather than in the billion dollar range, but maybe in the seven to eight figure range is because I thought to myself, everything has been democratized, right? You know, to the point of data. Yeah. And, you know, that those skill sets that I learned with my experience at those bigger agencies, I can easily apply to seven to eight figure businesses today because we have such immediate access to information. Like, you know, in whether it be in Google or whether it be in the Facebook panel, and um, we can start bringing those type of um, uh, creative processes uh, much, much, much easier to the to that smaller business owner because we don't have to pay, you know, thirty thousand dollars for a consumer report, for example, right? So yeah, I mean that was that was what excited me about it—the whole democratization side of it, and the whole, you know, even like the transfer of wealth, you know, that people talk about from a political point of view. Like mm -hmm. that's what interests me to empower like people and empower organizations to build, um, you know, huge businesses, you know, based off laptops and phones and small organizations. And yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Thank you. So just as a side note or side topic, I just talked to a friend of mine a few days ago and I, I know that you shot or, or recorded these videos with big budget for, for big companies and they were featured in TV and not just online. And you mentioned surveys and, and avatars, customer reports. And I think uh, that's a great thing. And I think it's a bit underestimated these days because in the digital marketing world, most guys or many guys, they focus on numbers, ROI, ROAS, and all of these, uh, these things. And they ignore the customer, the, the people behind the numbers. What, what do you think about this? Can you see a similar trend that people, they just ignore the creative and focus on the numbers too much in the digital marketing world? Or, or what do you think? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think the people who focus on the numbers find it tougher to scale. And the people who focus on, uh, you know, the customer behind the numbers and the creative that connects to that customer, they're the ones who can scale because they build systems and processes that will allow them to, uh, you know, to create at scale and then also to test at scale because because the numbers are also important, right? Because the numbers give you feedback. Yeah, yeah. The numbers give you um, the numbers give you yeah the numbers give you feedback. But yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. What people look at a bit too much is the ROAS and um, yeah. they get lost in the numbers and they can't see that customer behind the numbers. So that is an issue. But I find generally as, as, as companies become more successful, uh, they start seeing that bigger picture. And mm -hmm. I think it's important, especially for like e-com uh, stores who kind of maybe operate yeah, yeah. in the six-figure range currently, is to really look at their, the data that they have and, then, and to analyze that data 
Um, and I don't mean just in term of, terms of purchases. I mean also in terms of like engagement, add to cart and purchases and analyze that and understand what are the different types of people that are potentially going through each of these phases of the customer journey with them. And then, um, and then yeah, and then, and then focus on uh, creative that will help them help them through that journey. Yeah. Did I answer your question think- or did I go off on a tangent there? Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a great feedback on your side. And um, what do you think? Uh, is there a level where it changes or, or it's hard to define that level in e-commerce? It depends. What, I mean, Daniel, I think it depends really kind of like what you're trying to do. I mean, if you're trying to just like, uh, if, you're, if you're commodity focused and you're a drop shipper yeah. and you just want to drop yeah, yeah. stuff and you just want to sell as a commodity, then it's less important. However, if you want to build a brand and you want to build a long-term sustainable business, I think it's one of the most important things as a business owner that you can do to think about your customer. Because then if you think about your customer or your client and you, and you understand the journey that they, that they need to go on in, ter- in terms of buying your product, then you can infuse your entire journey from your branding to on your website, the creative on your website, to the... Um, uh, to the videos you create, the images you create from the outset, you know, and it doesn't have to be done uh, very expensively up front because it's really more about, you know, so for example, like a smaller business owner, rather than focusing on uh, like creative at scale could, you know, like videos, they could focus more on like images or GIFs, which they can create quite easily using, you know, a whole variety of apps and then copy as well, potentially, um, and then test those elements. And then as they start to grow, then start investing in more creative assets to start, um, uh, you know, to start pushing your branding out there and start and, and scaling out, basically. Mm-hmm. 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 Make sense? Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's a great feedback. Um, okay, and what, what, uh, what do you think, what was the biggest difference or what you can see... The, the biggest difference is between the creatives of a billion dollar brand versus a seven, eight figure brand. Well, yeah, okay. This is an interesting point and it's an interesting question. I'm glad you asked that question. Obviously the first difference would be like, you know, financial, like, you know, in terms of budget, obviously yeah. brands have huge, huge budgets. Right. And so um, I, and I think this is where, this is where I saw the opportunity, right? Because, there's, there's two schools in marketing, right? There's the brand brand school and then there's the direct response school, right? Yeah, yeah. And so um, obviously my background is from brand, right? That's where I, that's where I basically uh, came up. However, yeah. when, you know, when all the t- digital took off and I started seeing it working in the brands, I started investigating direct response and I started, uh, you know, like even at Ogilvy, we had – we had a, had that um, history of it, um, and then. Um, uh, but what what really excited me is that um, the whole, this whole concept of brand response, right? Because nowadays you can create like a, a you know a very kind of aspirational branded kind of video, um, and you know and it doesn't have to be directly selling in terms of direct response, but you can still measure its efficiency. Whereas previously you wouldn't be able to say, for example, on TV or on billboards and, you know, on those channels, you still can't, but you can take branded video assets. You can measure them on platforms like Facebook and Google. And so, um, so the difference, what I, 
what I would say is that um, they're, they're very strong on the branding. Um, they're not very, as strong on the direct response. And that's why I kind of looked outwards outside of the agency world when I started looking at uh, direct response. And then I found, you know, Frank Kern, who's probably like, you know, the king of direct response, I guess, or Internet marketing. And um, I, he became a client of mine, ultimately. And we, you know, I set up the creative pipeline for him, for his agency. So, you know, that whole process, like going through the whole process from going from brand to direct response, it allowed me to like formulate my own kind of like hypothesis on where the industry is going in terms of brand response. And so what I'm, what I'm basically trying to say is that we, we can definitely learn from the bigger uh, agencies in terms of branding. And we should. Um, and, you know, a lot of like old school direct response marketers will just basically discount that as not like being of any use because it doesn't directly register a conversion. However, with today's tracking technology, we can actually measure the response of those branded assets. But at the same time, what I'm saying is that we do need to have direct response within whole, within that whole customer flow, within that whole squirrel journey up the tree, whatever, into all the little leaves and stuff that the customer goes through. Yeah, I mean, using using aspiration at the top of your funnel, that's probably the biggest thing that you can learn from those brands. And that's something that I think all uh, e-com guys should actually study as they go uh, get bigger and bigger. Because direct response is obviously much easier to facilitate, much more low cost, but building um, a much more. So, yeah, so basically, I think uh, what we can learn is, you know, how to create experiences, uh, aspirational experiences from the bigger brands. And, you know, and the difference, what I would say is that, you know, SMBs can be a lot more flexible, like because they're smaller organizations, they're less, there's less bureaucracy, there's less departments, there's less different people making, you know, committee decisions. They can be a lot more flexible and they can test their creators faster and therefore they can grow at a faster rate than, say, a bigger brand could. Whereas, you know, a bigger brand is basically in some ways crippled by the amount of different organizations and the amount of different specialists that they have. And so that that always actually frustrated me to a certain extent, because um, it just meant we couldn't move fast. And that's why, well, I mean, that's the whole reason for Fifth Weapon, because, I, you know, I'm so excited by the, the potential to move fast, to iterate fast, to get feedback from the data fast, and to make you know intelligent business decisions based on that. My next question would be, and I totally understand, I, I totally agree with what you said. Also, there are pros and cons of both words. And I also think that everyone should understand direct response marketing, but branding as well. I think there is a misconnection between the two words. Like there are smaller businesses who are great at direct response marketing, but once they hit a level, probably the low nine figure or higher eight figure levels, they just cannot grow, you know, bigger because they don't understand the concept of a brand. And also the, the, the length in time of a branding campaign should be much longer than with some direct response marketing campaigns. So many smaller businesses, they don't understand branding and also some big brands, they don't understand direct response marketing. And I think a great marketer should understand both, even if they don't master both, but they should understand it at least. So so it's a very interesting uh, misconnection what we can see these days. And probably my next question, um, you work with different corporations, agencies. Which one was your favorite or, and, and why? I'm really curious to, to hear your opinion about that. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I think I have two favorites. I'm uh, working with Ogilvy, 
was uh, was great. Um, we I was in uh, in the Ford account, and so um, I love cars. <laughs> so so I got I, I got <laughs> me too. I got to make lots of um, you know we got to shoot lots of uh, sexy car assets and create lots of creative for um, for those for those assets. And uh, you you exploded a few of them, right? Yeah, yeah, a few yeah. cars. Uh, I, I, <laughs> Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, no actually, I no, I never exploded a car in any of the commercials we made. That would be sending the wrong message to the customer. But um, yeah, actually, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, so um, I think yeah, Ogilvy was a fun one, and then also I was at Fox Branded Partnerships as well, and so uh, the campaign that we did for Rolex was. Uh, probably one of my favorites too because that allowed me to travel to a few different places and I managed to um uh we created some really nice assets for that and yeah and, and those were both kind of like well actually so actually that's you know we're talking about branded and direct response it's funny you know that suddenly my one of my favorites was a branded campaign and the other one was a direct response campaign you know I would say that that's been my kind of dilemma throughout my career because I kind of enjoy both processes like I enjoy you know to, to establish the connection but then also to nurture that connection along um, and I, I like solving that puzzle in terms of like how can we make this person you know go on to the next step and for me that's what's the exciting for for me it's that's what's exciting brand or direct response i kind of see all of it as a problem to be fixed and that you know i need to find the creative solution to it and so and the way i find that creative solution is through looking at the numbers and through looking at the data and through analyzing what's worked what hasn't worked and so uh so for me like you know i yeah it's very hard to choose between the two because um I enjoy both so much, and um, I kind—I of, think I've lost sight of the question. To be honest with you, I just—oh yeah, you said what was my favorite. So those are my two favorite. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's great to hear uh, your experience, and and you enjoyed. Uh, you picked these two. One was branding more, and the other one was direct response. Um, you mentioned data and numbers. What do you think? What are what are the most important numbers to really measure? the efficiency of your creative and and also is there a difference if if you want to focus on direct response versus branding um what numbers people or, or marketers should consider as as important numbers yeah absolutely i think um uh, with branding obviously that's much more at the top of the funnel and direct response i kind of see more as middle and bottom of the funnel so obviously the numbers are going to be different now if you look at like ecom for example and you look at the actual um the the journey that a person has to take on ecom like you know they first see the ad um and then from you know from a completely cold perspective they first see the ad Uh, and then, you know, they might be interested that they might go and see the landing page. And then from the landing page, then you've got to get them to uh, add to cart and then from add to cart to initiate checkout, from initiate checkout to purchase. Now, that's one journey, right? They might go to the landing page and then they might move on to email, like they might subscribe to the email and then they go off in a different direction. But right now, let's just for ease of discussion, let's just talk about the uh, the you know, the, from, you know, from cold audience to buyer. And um, so obviously for each of those different steps, there's going to be different KPIs for a, for, for a direct response. The, the most, the most important KPI for, for me is really purchase. Um, and then for brand, which sits at the top of the funnel, brand awareness, 
the most important uh, KPI for me is landing page view. Did they did they get to the landing page? Did they add to cart? Um, and then and then in the middle of the funnel, you know, um, you know, I'm then I'm, I'm looking at like, um, you know, uh, add to cart and initiate checkouts like, um, uh, you know, OK, did they did they add to cart? Did they initiate checkout? How many times did they add to cart? Did they add to cart more than three times? Did they add to cart uh, initiate checkout more than twice? Or, you know, what made them not buy? And then so each of those becomes different problems to solve. And each of those different problems have different KPIs that can measure the results um, of the campaigns that you're running. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. So for you, every KPIs are on the website, landing page view, add to cart, purchases, and, and not really the ad metrics and, and, and these things. The ad metrics are important because they become more important. For example, if you're not getting any landing page views, then uh, then the ad metrics will give you uh, more information as to why not. Or if you're getting low landing page views, then the ad ad, ad metrics will give you uh, information as to why your ad isn't converting as well as it should. So um, so yeah, they are definitely important. All these metrics they have their place, but they need to be looked at. Uh, within their little microcosms, you know, depending on what, what the results yeah. they're trying to track. Um, but ultimately for a business, you know, the ultimate metric is sales, right? So, but the customer journey is essentially, is the customer journey is essentially a series of little sales. So, you know, if getting them to watch your ad is a little mini sale, getting them to then, um, you know, go to the landing page is a mini sale, getting them then to add to cart is a mini sale, getting them to send you, that give you their email is a mini sale, getting them to, um, uh, you know, initiate checkout. They're all little mini sales. So you can look at the overall sales figures and then try and look at the metrics from a macro point of view. But you can also zoom in and you can then, you know, those little those other metrics, they become more important from a uh, a mini point of view in terms of how you start optimizing your process. So what I'm trying to say is ultimately the, you know, the purchase conversion is the metric to measure your business by, but how do you, how do you optimize it? Then there's all these other little metrics that you can use to track. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there is a phrase that I really like. You cannot put in the bank, your, your open rates or your click through rates. You cannot get an interest on, on those numbers on just only your dollars what you make with your business so ultimately ultimately purchases what really counts yeah because um, if you're not getting any purchases you can't do any of the other fun stuff you got the, the purchases yeah. are the most important thing to start off with so exactly. yeah exactly okay um my next question would be so i know that you have a lot of experience with videos and different uh, placements what is the biggest difference between TV ads, YouTube ads, Facebook ads, and maybe if you could help the audience with some tips, how they should think of these channels and how they should uh, create videos differently based on the channel? Yeah, I mean, you know, the TV ads obviously are much more difficult to to measure, although that is changing as we speak, like, you know, with uh, OTT um, providers like Roku and stuff coming into the actually, game. Sorry, actually, I don't know much about it. Uh, what What is changing with TV ads? Well, I mean, you know, with the, the, the data with the over, the basically OTT, over the top, they call it, over the top count, uh, consoles like Roku ah, okay. and uh, like PlayStation and all these things. Ah, okay, you know, okay. um, there are platforms now that, you know, you can start measuring your results in terms of your TV ads. Okay, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's starting to come. 
like it's starting to become more prevalent, especially in the States to a certain extent. Um, um, and that's programmatic, basically. And people are using those media buys to also scale out. Um, however, um, let's just talk about like the difference between YouTube, Facebook and say TV ads. Like, so essentially what I would say is that um, uh, with YouTube and um, with YouTube in particular, and even Facebook to a certain extent, you can be a little bit further down the funnel, even though you're starting with a cold audience um, and you're starting a brand awareness campaign. Because you have behavior targeting and interest targeting um, on those platforms, you know, you know to a certain extent that those audiences are going to be a little bit more uh, along the customer journey than, say, for example, TV TV. Uh, campaign you have no clue as to you know where the people from the tv campaign are ultimately coming from so you have to keep your messaging really broad and branded and aspirational and that can really only work for huge companies with huge budgets so you know the opportunity for e-com uh, uh, store owners is you know to, 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 to take elements of that but then also tailor it to the interest and behavioral targeting that they're using based on their customer avatar on Google and Facebook to uh, essentially have a slightly warmer audience. So even though, you know, a lot of like e-com store owners think about their audience being completely cold, it is to a certain extent, like they might have never heard of you, but you, we already kind of know that they're kind of interested in, in, in say, for example, especially if you're doing uh, interest layering as well. Um, I would say, so what are the tips that I can give? The tips I would give, one of the biggest tips I would give is that if you're an e-com store owner and you're targeting by interest and you're targeting by behavior and, you know, you've been into audience insights and you've looked at Google's affinity stuff, and you kind of know, you know, the customer that you're you're targeting. Then to start looking a little bit horizontally and um, start looking at what books do they read, what TV shows are they watching, what sort of devices they're using, um, and all those different elements of what makes up a human being. And then start trying to work on your messaging to be tailored to that. Does that make sense? And 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 that's much harder to do with TV because with TV, you you know, it's like. You're, you're just basically reaching a huge audience. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, it's all. It's also very interesting what you said about the TV TV ads at the beginning, and I'm I'm really curious what will happen in next years regarding that because if we can measure results better with TV ads, maybe they won't, you know, disappear as many online market uh, predict. Yeah, they're not um, going to disappear. They're going to make a big comeback. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. that's my, that's my opinion. And I, I, that's why if you, if you just look at the, uh, Roku and you look at the stock of Roku, in fact, Roku is probably, if, if anyone's interested in buying stocks, they should definitely buy stocks in Roku. Yeah. I think it's just going to get become, um, you know, we're doing it on YouTube right now. We're doing it on Facebook right now, but I think as more and more people, you know, start using these OTT platforms, I think those TV ads will make a comeback. Yeah. That's quite interesting. Um, so I really like the concept of Gary Vee that, that certain channels and forms of ads, they are overpriced or underpriced. And I think Gary Vee said that only the Super, Super Bowl is not uh, overpriced regarding TV ads. What, what do you think? TV ads is really overpriced these days or, or, or what do you think about that? Compared to YouTube, Facebook, all of these digital channels. I think TV ads only make sense for a uh, um, a brand when once they get to a certain level. 
um, especially those type of TV ads. Uh, and in terms of overpriced, underpriced, everything is priced at the right point. It just depends on, um, you know, at what stage you're at in, in your own business journey. Um, if you're a seven figure, eight figure e-com store owner, then no, I would suggest like TV ads will be overpriced for what you need them to do. You know, there's, there's, you still haven't hit your glass ceiling on Google or Facebook, for example, right? So I would, or, or even like say, for example, Pinterest. So I would, I would focus more on my suggestion and from a strategic point of view would be to focus more on scaling out the channels horizontally rather than jumping straight into TV. However, if you're, um, you know, if you're a, like a 10 figure brand, then, you know, if you're a six, seven figure, eight figure e-com store owner, then I would suggest that, you know, TV ads is probably not the best place for you to spend your money because there's still plenty of, there's pl still plenty that you can achieve on Google and Facebook, for example, or even other channels like Pinterest. But if you're like a 10 figure e-com store owner, at that point, it starts making sense uh, to start taking your um, message out to a much, much, much wider audience because, you know, then you can reach a lot more people with your brand awareness campaigns that you might not necessarily be able to achieve on Google or Facebook because you're bidding at that point as well. Yeah, sure, you can, you know, alter your bid so that you're the highest bid. But um, uh, TV also carries with it a certain, like a certain psychological component for the buyer in terms of like where your brand is at. So, um, so in answer to your question, it, nothing is, in my opinion, nothing is overpriced. It's just priced at the correct point as to where you need it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it's a great feedback. Again, uh, I think nothing is white and, and black. So it really depends on your situation and where you are at with your brand. Yeah. So once you hit that nine, ten figure level, then go with the TV ads, even in big markets like the US or or, or big countries. And I, he I heard the same from uh, many big brands and, and smaller brands as well that uh, and agencies that there is a ceiling with Facebook and Google ads, but that ceiling is probably around low nine figure, high eight figure. So if you are not there yet, then it's better to focus on those before jumping um, into uh, even into the radio ads right. or, or TV ads. Yeah, I agree. Um, so beside the, Beside uh, Fifth Weapon, your, your uh, agency, you also do lead generation as far as I know. So please uh, tell, uh, tell us more about, about that and, and your experience with that uh, niche. This is an e-commerce podcast, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm also interested in that part of your business. Sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, that's, that's the funny thing with my business. Like I'm kind of like 50-50. We, like, we do do lead gen, like we do lead gen for... Um, some attorneys uh, in the United States, also some uh, life insurance people um, and uh, also roofing companies as well in the United States. And ultimately, it's, it, you know, the, the process is very the process is similar in some ways, like in terms of messaging um, from cold to uh, to buyer. Uh, it's just that the uh, the path that they take is just slightly different instead of like, you know, add to carts or initiate checkouts. We're, we're essentially we're, we're measuring less steps in the journey. So we're measuring, you know, landing page views um, to um, to calls booked. Sorry, to to, to um, uh, videos watched to uh, calls booked. 
and uh and then uh, and then the sale part of it we are we you know we don't we're not even looking we are looking at it in terms of metrics but the sales part of it um is really the, down to the business at the end of the day and there's less creative work at that part on that side of the journey so so for lead gen the creative really really like works right at the top and the middle of like top middle of the funnel in some ways it's um you know less involved than the ecom work and obviously there's obviously higher ticket sales at the end of it but you know but at the same time there's less volume and uh you know i really to be honest with you uh, you know that's one of the things that i'm actually like kind of currently focusing on in terms of like you know in my own business as i'm scaling up the agency is like um uh, i have the potential to be completely frank with you to go off in either direction and i'm fairly confident that i can make either one a, you know a huge success mm-hmm. The the, yeah. the point the point is really like where do I focus on right and where, where which which path do I want to take which is going to give me the most uh, satisfaction as a from a from the point of view view of being a human and yeah. <laughs> and yeah. though I though I love the lead gen stuff I do love the lead gen stuff but like I told you for me like the whole brand and direct response part of it like they they go hand in hand like it's like left left brain right brain. Uh, you know two sides of the same coin and i just love being on the whole journey aspect of it so you know I, like in a way i've kind of already answered that question for you our focus going forward is really going to be um uh, e-com store owners and specifically you know one of the things we've just taken on a client who's a who was an uh, amazon seller and they're doing very like well on amazon like you know their brands they're currently generating um eight figures on uh, Amazon. And so we essentially have taken uh, their products, their brand they're on Amazon and, and built out uh, a brand for them uh, on online um, with a Shopify uh, architecture. And, uh, you know, we've uh, creatively branded that um, uh, store to fit with the, the persona or the, um, you know, the avatar of their, their ideal client. Um, we've created uh, creative photography videos, um, which basically fit around that. And then now we are advertising those on um, uh, YouTube, Facebook, and um, we are starting to essentially siphon off those sales into their own system so that they can start owning their customer data and they can start owning their brand. So, um, and for me, that's where, that's the, that's the sweet kind of point where I want to help um people like i really want those, those are the people that i feel that i can be the most used to because i can yeah, yeah. i can take their you know that particular pain that they're that they're suffering at the moment and then help help them get rid of it essentially <laughs> yeah 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 i think as a as a as an agency owner and a marketing expert uh this is uh the purpose purpose of, of many of us or probably most of us and and that's great and also, I, I have friends from the lead gen world, and uh, you mentioned that the creatives are very different. And I can also see that sometimes they make ridiculous money with very simple creatives yeah. compared to the e-commerce or, or the, the corporate uh, creatives. That's um, true. And, you know, it's just the nature of the business. It's totally fine. So, so it's very interesting. Um, my last question would be to you. So, and I always ask this question from from uh, every guest. So, what is the that one thing that you didn't uh, mention or or we didn't mention, and and you want to tell this to the audience, and you want to give this 
tip or, or recommendation or advice to to e-commerce business owners? Yeah, I, I guess like, you know, from a, um, you know, we've talked a bit about why it's important to um, to to make creatives. And I think for um, some uh, e-com store owners, especially ones who are kind of like at six, uh, coming up to seven, maybe um, uh, range, who've kind of spent their first part of their business um, setting up their systems and their processes to have uh, a business that's that's up and running and that can kind of like do customer service um, and you know and it provides a good experience. But then then you know and then they hear someone like me saying that you know you've got to do creatives. In fact, they hear it everywhere. Yeah. Like, you know, and then that feels daunting to a lot of them. And my one tip would be to them that, you know, actually doesn't have to be that daunting because there's uh, there's there's a lot of ways today that you can actually make creatives at uh, a very low cost. You don't have to have a team full of, uh, you know, a dedicated videographer in-house, um, dedicated editor in-house. You know, a lot of this stuff can be outsourced. Um, and especially I would say that, you know, you know, even in terms of like when you're looking for your media buyer agency, you should look for a media buyer agency that uh, either has the ability to create in-house or has a good relationship with uh, uh, an agency that can create. So, um, uh, you know, that's something that you should really think about when you start, um, you know, investing in media buying relationships as you're scaling up. Because um, the creative is the one variable that's becoming more and more important because the AI is just making the media buying process easier and easier as, as, yeah. as it optimizes across Google and Facebook. So it's, it's kind of funny in a way it's coming back to the way it used to be uh, where the creative was the most important and variable. So I would urge people to just be creating from the outset. You know, you don't need to just, you, you know, you don't need to have a fancy camera. You, you can, you can create off your phone. Uh, and if you don't, uh, you know, you, you, you can also, you know, if you don't want to create it yourself, you can also hire, you can also find influencers to create for you. You can create influencer content. You can make relationships with influencers who will create content for you. And then you can take that content and then you can have that re-edited uh, into uh, other pieces of content that you could use for for your ads, for example, and um, uh, reviews um, uh, and uh, you know user generated content and reviews. Focus on that sort of stuff, which is much more low co- low cost to start off with, and then go from there. And then I would also say one other tip that really converts for us, and I'll and I'll and I'll and I'll and I'll let you in on that little secret, one of our little in house recipes is to use uh testimonials so you you can a lot of them right yeah Yeah. you can yeah and not just in the copy you can create testimonial videos right like you can create videos with screenshots of your testimonials and um uh so people can see like you know that actually you know for that this this product works so that's my tip be always be creating yeah exactly and it's amazing that sometimes, or not sometimes, many times, those ads convert the best, which were not uh, mean to be an ad, like a testimonial video or, or some random guy uh, talks about a product, how much they like it, or some random grandma use, uh, uses a skincare product, and they work very well, much better than a regular ad. And it's amazing. Yeah. 
Thank you, Rupa. It was a very, very interesting interview. I really enjoyed it. I hope the audience as well. And if people want to find you, where they can find you? Uh, they can uh, hit me up at uh, Roop, R-O-O-P, at fifthweapon.com or, you know, on uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram. My handle is at Roop Singh Sood. That's R-O-O-P-S-I-N-G-H-S-O-O-D. And uh, that's it. Yeah, fifthweapon.com. Yeah, fifthweapon.com. Amazing. Thank you, Roop. In our next episode, you will see or hear another very interesting marketer and e-commerce expert. Until then, stay tuned and thank you for listening to this podcast. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Ecom Show podcast. If you want to learn more about e-commerce, retention marketing, check out our Facebook group called Top 3% E-commerce Email Marketing or check out our website, thebudaimedia.com. The show is brought to you by the team of Budai Media. See you in our next episode and don't forget our goal. Grow your e-commerce business together.